All right, well, we are in the middle of a series called Suburban Legends, and uh, we are setting out to tackle a bunch of myths, a bun- debunk a bunch of myths that are out there. And uh, today's myth, you might have guessed from the video, is about the wonderful world of teenagers. And uh, I'm just excited. This is something I'm really passionate about. This is a topic that I love. I'm talking about teens and the life of our church. And, uh, you know, as a youth pastor, I, I get the opportunity to speak to teens uh, on a regular basis. And there's nothing like asking them like a deep, meaningful question, like what's, the, what's your purpose in life or what is Christ done in your life and getting back a, yup, you know, getting back a one-word answer. And uh, so to all the parents out there, I, I sympathize with you. There's nothing like teens have this just total knack for being able to uh, block conversation, block communication when they want. So can I get an amen from you guys on that one? <laughs> All right, so um, let's just jump right in. Today's relational myth is that teens are just rebellious. We're going to debunk the myth that teens are just rebellious, and, and so that's what we're talking about. Our society's kind of come to accept this myth. It's pretty entrenched in our society that we think of teens. When we think of teens, the word rebellion comes to mind. All the negative things that teens do in their effort to move from childhood in our homes to adulthood out on their own. And so all those things. And so I went to Google, Google being the all-out authority on society, I suppose. And, uh, you know, if you go into Google and you type anything, you could type like LifePoint and it would finish it with church. You know, it kind of makes a suggestion for you. If you type in teen or teenager... It will suggest some things for you. And so these are some things that Google would suggest. And and I would conjecture that this is what society thinks of teens because it's based on Google searches. So teens and drinking, teens and alcohol, teens and sex, teens and marijuana, teens and, uh, let's see, teens and cell phones, teens and drugs. I don't know if I got all those, but that's pretty much the things that come to mind when you, when you type in Google. Those are the things that come up. And so I took it a step further and I said, well, what happens if you click the images tab? What do you get when you get images of teens? And so here's some images of teens. And you can see texting hit, hit there a lot. There were a lot of texting. Sleeping was a lot. Video gaming, even flipping the bird. Those were all quite, quite common when you picked up images of teens. So our society kind of has this image of teens that they are just rebellious and that they're, uh, that they're going to engage in a lot of negative behaviors. Even Google thinks that teens are rebellious. So rebellion is a common thought when we think of teens, but is it true? Is that all we think of when we think of teens? Is there more below the surface? Are teens capable of doing more with their life than just rebelling or just the things that you saw up on the screen or the things that are listed? Can the rebellion Can this quote-unquote rebellion, can it have positive results? Can that energy be channeled into doing great things for God? And as as parents, is it possible for us to do more than just kind of survive the teen years? Is that even possible? Is there more than meets the eye when you look into the heart of a teenager. And so I, had a, I interviewed one teen, just picked one, and I interviewed him, and so I'm going to let you see that interview up here on the screen. Uh, I'm Dan, and I've been going to LifePoint for about five years now. And I've been involved in the youth ministry, playing in the worship band for a church, and I've been on two of the mission trips. Well, I know five years ago, I definitely wouldn't have gotten up on the stage. I remember sitting up front in church, watching the bass players and just thinking that I want to do that one day. I've seen his passion for music just blossom and uh, the ways that he uses it just blow me away. I mean, he goes 
to church and he, he stands up on the stage and, and he's playing music for God. Definitely feel the need to serve him. The best way I can do that is through playing. Since coming to Life Point, Daniel's had an opportunity to go on mission trips. And I was just blown away by some of the things that, that Daniel did, and just all the kids. It just was awesome. They had to have an impact on those people in Louisiana. They had to change some lives down there. I'm quiet because, I mean, like, I guess I think a lot. And really, if you just sit back and watch other people, life's a little more funner. I mean, Daniel's doing things that some adults won't even do. He's, um, but that's that conviction that he's got that this is important. You don't necessarily have to be allowed to be a leader. You lead by example. Other people watch him. Like, especially Andrew. It's his younger brother, and uh, Andrew wants to be just like Daniel. I mean, Andrew's talking to his friends out there, and he's saying, hey, that's my brother, you know, and I'm going to be just like him. And, um, yeah, Daniel thinks his little brother's a pest sometimes and this and that, but you really have an impact on him, Daniel. And I have watched him just grow from a position of just being there to being now a leader and somebody that um, is actually up on stage leading other people. And that's really a cool thing to watch your kids grow up like that. You know, while there is some truth to the fact that teens rebel and that teens, as they move from, from our homes, from being children in our homes, to, to their own identity, to identifying themselves outside of the family, they do rebel in some ways. I believe that there's more there than meets the eye. I believe that, that we often judge teens at surface level and that there's so much more below the surface that's just waiting to come out. So I just showed you one, but I'm blessed with the opportunity to just work with teenagers and to work in their lives and to see what they can do. And so I want to share a couple examples with you. Um, and these are just a few I've just picked out. But one of them I was thinking of, there's a middle school girl in our group who's uh, given her life to Christ probably in the last year and a half and obeyed him, following that, obeyed him in baptism. And, uh, and then she didn't stop. She went out into her school and she started talking to people about Christ. She then uh, started inviting people to come to um, the youth ministry events. And so they would come and check that out. She started uh, talking to her parents. It was obvious there was something going on in her heart. And so the parents noticed it. Both her mom and her dad started saying, well, I want to check out and see what's going on in her life. I want to know what's changed. And so they started thinking, maybe I'm going to check this church thing out again. And so they have started to kind of check church out more and to get plugged in and to start serving. All because this teenager started seeking herself. And when she found what she was looking for, it just naturally rubbed off on all the people around her. And she has great influence over those people. Another example I thought of, um, there's a high school guy who invited me to come into his public school before school on, a, I think it was a Wednesday morning, um, and this group that was student-led, student-organized, student-run, meets once a week to do nothing but talk about God, hear a word from God, and, and worship Him. They even sing songs there. And they do that every Wednesday morning at their public school. And I thought, man, that is so amazing. Look what teenagers can do when they set their mind to it. They have a passion um, for doing those things. And that's amazing. I also have the opportunity to go on missions every year with the teens. And, and how great it is to be able to see these um, young people go up and step up and do things that they wouldn't normally do. I mean, I don't see our teens normally walking up to homeless people on the street and, and talking to them about Christ or sharing you know, a meal with them. 
You know, I don't see them uh, taking little kids into their lap and talking to them about what Christ means in their life or, or uh, just, you know, sharing a little craft with them or running a vacation Bible school or doing a skit. But they all do that when we go on mission trips. And it's amazing to see them lead not only little kids, peers, but also adults. And they, I've even witnessed them. I mean, you saw today there's even teenagers on our stage leading worship right here in our service. So as we unpack this myth about teenagers and teenagers being just rebellious, I kind of wanted to go back and say why I think we got in this situation. Why is, it that we, why is it that when teenagers come to mind, why do we think of rebellion? Where did this stigma come from? And uh, I, like I said, I think teenagers naturally moving out, they are going to rebel to some degree. But I think to really understand, you have to go back about 100 years. Because the term teenager has only been around for about 75 It's only been around less than a century. And it was born out of the Industrial Revolution. Kids were in factories. That was a bad thing. They needed education, so laws were in place. Kids out of factories, now in schools, they're getting education. They're in better conditions. Great things, right? Those are some really positive laws. But out of that came some very negative things that I don't think were really anticipated. Not the word teenager, but these people that are between the ages of 12 and 20, suddenly they weren't working They weren't producing. They weren't this active part of society that they used to be. Because before that, you'd be working on the farm with dad, or you'd be, uh, you know, maybe you were a nurse, or maybe you were a teacher, or maybe you were a surveyor or engineer, or maybe you uh, served in the military. Maybe you did any one of these things that are real jobs, that have real responsibilities, that ask these kids to really step up and to become men and women instead of uh, just kids. And so I think that's kind of like when that shift happened, all of a sudden, these young people were encouraged to stay young for an extraordinarily long time, longer than would be natural. Um, and when you get in that situation, it, it turned out that what would happen is the expectation level dropped. So maybe 100 years ago, the expectation level was up here for teens to be active, producing high expectations, high responsibilities, to where it just slowly, steadily dropped to where now the expectation is lower and lower and lower. And the teens only here are like shooting daggers. I mean, oh, whatever. Don't make that expectations rise. But the, the expectations have gotten lower and lower. So that now teens are not expected to do as much as they used to do. I mean, you know, taking out the trash may be a battle. Just doing your homework may be a battle, okay? Like, so things that like would just seem like they should just do, they don't do. And so that's where I think we've come from. It's also kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think about... Um, you know, if you tell somebody, if long and lo- long and long enough, you don't expect that much of them. If you just keep saying it over and over again, they expect less and less and less of themselves. And so they tended to, all of a sudden, they expected less of themselves. So one thing that I think has kind of led to this negative rebellion aspect is that when we don't give people, and this is all people, not just teens, you may be in here hearing this for yourself and not a teenager, but if you don't have a purpose in your life, if you don't have something that's going to fill you up, if you don't have a reason to exist, you tend to start to fill that up with whatever you, can, whatever you can shove in that hole in your heart. And a lot of times, teens get a bad rap because they're searching for a purpose. They're searching for something. They don't know what it is. They're going to fill it up with something, and so they wind up filling it up with all the things I listed from Google. They wind up filling it up with all those negative behaviors. And so if you want to break free from those negative behaviors, you have to have a purpose. So I bet you guys will agree with me, maybe not all teenagers, but I bet most of you will agree with me that expectations are low on teenagers. But what does God say 
what does God tell us about teenagers? What does his word say? And that's where I, that's where I like to turn whenever I have a question. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can look along or you can look up on the screen. We'll have the slide up there for you. It says, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 13, um, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Okay. We're talking about teenagers. So did you guys catch the reference to teens in there? You see the reference to teens? I don't see it in there either, nor do I see it anywhere else in the Bible. The word teenager has only been around for about 75 years. To read what the Bible says about teenagers, you have to read what it doesn't say about teenagers. Okay? You have to infer what it's saying from what it doesn't say. And so I rewrote the verse, and I'm just going to read it to you. The stuff in white is Todd's version. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But then I became a teen. I looked like an adult. I sounded like an adult, but I still acted like a child. Okay. It, <laughs> there's not two standards, okay? It doesn't say, it doesn't say okay, you know, teen, you can kind of hang out in this middle area. It just has one standard. Young adults, adults, all the same, one high standard. I expect more of you. I expect you to be the man or the woman of God that I've, that I've called you to be. And that goes for all of us in here. If you've heard the message of Christ before and you've accepted it, he has high expectations for you. He expects you to put away your childish ways. And the same goes for teenagers, just like the rest of us. So um, I think he calls teens to kind of rise above society's expectations and rise up to another level. He calls us all to do that. But I think particularly we're talking about teens today, and so that's who I'm focusing on. Now, there's a verse that I throw out probably once a month at youth. And uh, I would invite you that if you've never read Romans 12, 1 and 2, just read it over and over again for a week and see if it doesn't change your attitude. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'm just going to read you just a piece of Romans 12, 2, because there's just so much information in there to unpack. We're just going to look at a, a little bit of it. Um, it's Romans 12, 2, and it says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. The patterns of this world would tell teens, you know what? Just breeze on by, kind of coast under the radar, you know, have fun, get, come, find out about this God stuff later, you know, do whatever, just don't worry about it. Just as long as you don't get in trouble, you're all good. You know, and it kind of, ta- it kind of tells teens that. And so if we're going to go away from the patterns of this world, we need to have a higher expectation, the expectation that God puts in place, which is for us to be men and women of God. So I think that that verse is key, and I'd encourage you to read it later. Um, The world clearly has low expectations. God clearly has high expectations. So as a youth pastor, I get to often ask teenagers about God. You know, how's God working in your life? What do you think about God? What are some things that you uh, are doing? What are some ways that you connect with God? I get to kind of like ask those questions and kind of see what they think. And like I said, sometimes I get the one-word answers, but... Many times, if they're not going to take a hold of this message, if they're not going to step it up, what I get in response is, you know, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing with God working in my life. But I'll get to it later. Because to a teenager, time is everything. You have all the time in the world, right? I mean, you're young. You got your whole future out there in front of you. And so you're, you're just thinking, okay, well, I'll get to it later. I'm going to chill out right now, and I'll get to this God stuff. It's, I'll, it'll be there waiting for me. And you're right. Okay, in response to all the teenagers, God will always be there waiting for you. That is a biblical truth. No matter what you do, no matter what you've done, 
God will always love you. He will always, always love you. And uh, you can't change that. He'll always be there waiting for you. So the question is, and this is a valid question, if that's true, then what's the consequence of waiting? Why not wait? You know, why, why, why take a hold of this life now? Why not just wait till later? That's a valid question. And I think the response to, your, to the apathetic question of why wait is something to the effect of, you know what, you're going to waste some of the best years of your life. You're going to waste them. I mean, teenagers, you probably talk to your parents and like reliving the glory days, you know, in the summer of 69 or whatever, you know. They're reliving the glory days and they got, you know, what, the best years of their life, you would waste them not living to your full God-given potential. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ever attempt things that would stretch you, that would make you grow, that would make you stronger. You would never attempt those because you wouldn't, you wouldn't follow God's plan for your life. And you're, the result is that you're going to end up weak and unprepared for the amazing life that God has planned for you. That's the result of waiting. God will be there if you wait. But why wait? Why not just do it? Why not take a hold of this and why not run with it? Why not surprise your parents who, are, who may be stuck in this myth that you're just rebellious? Why not surprise them? I used to be a math teacher, so I would say, do the math. The more days that you follow Christ with all your heart, the more days you have to impact not only yourself, but the people around you. That's just a mathematical truth. Um, all right, so I wanted to go back and tell you a little bit about myself and when I was a teen, because I think it's relevant when we talk about teens to kind of go back and think about our own teen years if you're out of teen years. And uh, so let me just tell you about me. Uh, I was nine years old. I grew up in the church my whole life. Uh, my parents were taking me to church. Nine years old, I was like, you know what? I kind of, I'm hearing this Jesus thing. I hear it all the time, but I'm kind of hearing it and kind of confronted with, okay, this is who Jesus is. And this is what he's done for me. And all I have to do is accept the message of Christ. So, okay, let me do that. I, I get that. And let me obey him in baptism. So at that point, I kind of see my relationship with Christ as me, Christ. We're hanging out. We're kind of chummy, chummy. We're buddy, buddy. You know, I'm doing my thing. He's there hanging out, you know, making sure to tell me if I mess up, but not, you know, not really like, you know, he's just kind of, it's like advice. You know, I want to follow some and not follow other stuff. And so that was 10 years of my life. I'm hanging out, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out with Christ, doing my thing. 10 years go by, and then I, there was a point at which I realized, you know what? I don't think I'm doing this right. All the stuff that's been in my mind, all the stuff that I've had in my heart for 10 years, what if I just gave it to God and just let him take care of it? And, you know, there's a country song that says, Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, and I'm like, I'm not a big country fan, but that's a good song. And uh, so I kind of see it like that. I'm sitting at the driver's seat and I've got my foot off the gas. I'm just cruising along at idle. I'm not really doing anything. And I said, all right, look, man, you take the wheel, you drive. And that sounds cliche, but that's literally how I felt. You take the wheel, you drive. And he took over and he starts, and it was just like as if somebody had slammed the gas pedal on my life. And that was 10 years ago. First 10 years, we just chilled out and hung out together. The last 10 years, man, what a ride and how much fun it's been. I can't even, I I don't, you know, I, I can't even explain to you I never saw this coming. I never saw a youth pastor. I never even saw that on the radar. And, and here I am today. I mean, God just, just taken my life in a whole other direction. Um, so I don't have regrets because I think it makes me the man that I am today. But I wonder what would have happened if during that first 10 years, I had really followed Christ with my life. 
what could have been? How many people could I have impacted? How much different my life would be? How much stronger and better prepared for a better life could I have been had I not wasted the first 10 years just kind of hanging around, you know? That's kind of my, I don't have a regret, but that's how I feel about it. So my point is with telling you this, it's kind of to ask you, when are you going to do it? When are you going to aim higher? When are you going to rise above the stereotype? And I'm specifically talking to you teens right now. So if you're in here, I'm like, really, I can see you guys. I'm talking to you. Um, When are you going to go higher? Is it now? Is it later? Is it never? When is it going to be? Because you're standing on the threshold of an amazing life and you're going, maybe in a little bit, when are you going to step through and take a hold of it? That's kind of my challenge for teenagers today. Um, Teens can and live, can and should live the life that they were meant to live today. As a youth pastor, I often hear people come up, they say, oh, Todd, you're doing a great job leading the, you know, the teens. You're growing them there. You're going to be, that's the church of tomorrow. And I stop and I'm like, whoa. First of all, not me. God's doing a great thing in our youth ministry. Second of all, they are not the church of tomorrow. You have that way wrong. They are the church of today. They are not the church of tomorrow. And if you don't believe that, because I think we've messed that up for a long time in our churches, we do a lot here to try and make that the case. If you walk around in here, if you come to set up, you'll see them setting up. If you come to worship, you'll see them playing in the band. If you walk next door to Fam Jam, you'll see them running the computers, running the sound. You'll see them dancing in the forest. You'll see them on stage. If you go over into the classrooms, you'll see them teaching your little kids. If you walk out in the lobby, you'll see them hanging out there greeting people. If you look over here at the ushers, you'll see them handing out, passing buckets and handing out Bibles. They can and are the church now. They're the church of today. People often ask me why we don't have a Sunday morning youth service. Because teens should be in here with us. They're not, they're, there's not, they're not delaying their spirituality. Their spirituality is now. And that's why they're in here with us. We want to allow them to serve. We want to allow them to be part of our adult ministry. Because we believe that that's just, that's just where they're meant to be. They put their childish ways behind them. And they come on over here. And they do it the way the rest of us do it. Okay? Um, so whether you're a teen and you're a teen in here, whether you're a parent of a teen, whether you are a coach or a teacher, or whether you're a teen at heart, whether you have absolutely no contact with teens at all, okay? I'm going to challenge you to do three things. And if you don't have any contact with teens, you're going to have to just turn this introspectively on yourself, what you can do for yourself. But I'm going to challenge you to do three things today. So if you were taking notes, these would be the three things I want you to take home. Number one, raise the bar. If you're a teen in here, raise the bar, okay? Society says, put your bar down here. Just put your own bar up here. Man, your parents, I was telling somebody after service, they were like, man, Todd, why did you say that? You didn't, you're, uh, raise the bar. They were kind of jabbing me about it. And I, and I said, look, if you raise the bar, this is practical advice for you teens. If you raise the bar up here, guess what? Your parents are going to start to trust you when you got the bar up here. And they're going to go, here you go. Here's a little more leash. 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 The more the bar gets raised, the more that you set your own standard up here, the more confident your parents are in your own ability to be out here on your own. And they let you go that way. What a cool thing that is. So pay it forward. Raise your own bar. Parents, I want to challenge you to raise the bar. I want to challenge you to expect more. Don't just expect your teens to just kind of hang around. Expect them to do more. Expect them to do mission trip. Expect them to be a part of the youth ministry. Expect them to uh, get good grades. Expect them to use good language. Expect them to honor you. Expect them to respect you. Expect all those things. You know, 
I think we often look to society for examples, and I know I did. I know I used to say, well, I'm doing some bad things, but I'm not doing nearly as bad a stuff as that dude over there, right? And I think we do that with our kids. Sometimes we'll say, oh, you know what? Well, it's pretty good, not really doing what those people are doing over there, you know? And so we kind of define our kids by what they're not doing instead of defining them by what they are doing. And so maybe we need to check ourselves and say, hey, how can we challenge our kids to take it to the next level? Um, if you're going to overcome society's examples, you have to look to God for examples. And God tells us clearly he wants us to dig into his word. If you're a teenager in here, dig into his word. It's not that hard. You just open up and you read it. It talks to you. It kind of a little story. Um, if you need some help with it, just ask. Your parents, are, I'm sure, would be glad to help you with that. Um, he also calls us to serve. Jump in and serve. Find a place to serve. Hang out with your parents and serve. Find another team to serve and do something, you know? Um, and, and I think he calls us to rise above and flee from sin. And, and that's so, you know, just run from sin. Like, you know what it is. It's pretty clearly to know what it is. Just run away from it. And we've been talking for four weeks now. We finished up a series called The Naked Truth. And, and I've just been convicted to just help these teens run away from sexual sin and to, and to remain pure until marriage. And I would encourage every teenager in here, if you've not thought about remaining sexually pure until marriage, that would not only change your marriage, but it'll change your relationship with Christ. And I just encourage you, please, to consider that because it's such a powerful thing in your life. Um, I think us as adults in general, this is all adults, if you hear yourself saying, well, they're just being a teen, you're pretty much excusing and trying to play down to this low level of expectation. Just don't let those words leave your mouth. Just expect more. All right, point number two. All right, you guys ready? You're like, oh, the teens are like, get off the stage, man. I'm just kidding. Um, point number two, focus on your God-given passions. Now, I showed you a video of a guy as Dan. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to know Dan, and, and he loves music. He eats music. He sleeps music. He breathes music. Everything about Dan is music, okay? It's just, it's just ingrained in him, and he figured that out, and he figured out not only how he could enjoy music on a, just outside of church, but he also figured out that he could use music to serve God, and he could be playing in a garage band, but he also chooses to play in the worship band. That's where he chooses to display his gifts and his passions. So you may have a passion too, and I don't just mean the stuff that you're good at. There's a difference between being good at something and being passionate about something. If you're passionate about it, it's going to be like you do it and you look down at the clock and you go, wow, that was three hours. How did I get, man, that felt like five minutes. If time's flying when you're doing something, you're probably passionate about it. And so teens have passions too. They probably have stronger passions than us adults because we've been, you know, numbed to, th- to just into submission. But teens, you know, you guys kind of have like this excitement and level of enthusiasm. And so you have some passions. So let's say you're doing 10 different activities. I just encourage you to cut at least seven of them out and just focus on one or two or three because you can't do 10 things really well, but you can do one thing extraordinarily well and you can dedicate that one thing to Christ. So find that thing that you're passionate about If you're a parent in here, help your teen find that thing you're passionate about and then encourage it and develop it. It may be art, it may be music, it may be sports, it may be drama, it may be academics, it may be, man, it may be preaching. I mean, maybe your kid just has a desire to preach. I mean, I don't know what what the desire is, what the passion is, but you can help them discover it. Um, And then I think to channel it, it's kind of a rebellion, but if you channel the rebellion into a positive thing, man, you can get some great results. Anytime I see a teen on fire, it's they're taking that same energy that they would have put into negative behaviors and they're putting it into really positive behaviors. Um, and so I, I would just say, 
you know, sounds cliche, but Jesus is the ultimate rebel. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna rebel, why not rebel with the ultimate rebel? Um, and then the third thing, and this is where I turn it more towards the parents. So if you're a teen, you can kind of sit back and go, okay, it's time to turn to the parents. If you're a parent in here, I wanna encourage you to do this. I wanna encourage you to walk the talk. I wanna encourage you to do what you say because actions do speak louder than words. Actions speak a lot louder than words, in fact. And don't advertise what you're not selling. If you want your teenager to step it up, you gotta step it up. If you want your teenager to read the Bible, you gotta read the Bible. If you want your teenager to serve, you gotta serve, you know? If you want your teenager to, to follow, if you want your teenager to follow Christ, they should probably follow you in the process, okay? Because we need to be the men and the women that they need as mom and dad, okay? And so that's my challenge to you. I just wanna challenge parents, be somebody that's worth following, okay? Be a mom or a dad that they need. And I think quite often we say, you know, I told you I hung out for 10 years kind of doing my own thing with Christ. And so there's gonna come a time where my daughter's gonna ask me about some things that I did. She's the oldest, so she's gonna ask first. She's gonna ask about some things that I did and I'm gonna be like, well, I kind of messed that one up. That doesn't disqualify me from having high expectations for her just because I messed it up, okay? Stop, stop dwelling on what could have been or what you should have done or what you might have done wrong and think about the fact that God has blessed you with the ability to be the mom or the dad to somebody who really needs you to be their examples. Whether the teens will admit it or not, I guarantee you they take a lot of their cues from adults and a lot of those cues they take from their parents. Probably the most influential person in their life is their parents. Um, there's a story that I read from a book uh, it was a guy by the name of Donald Miller. And uh, the story goes like this. It was a guy, he had a, he had a daughter. His daughter was engaging in all these reckless behaviors. She was uh, dating this no good boyfriend. She was up to no good. She was doing all kinds of bad stuff, you know, grades slipping. I mean, I could just go on and on. But she was doing all this stuff she shouldn't have been doing. And he's worried about her. He's like, yeah, honestly, parents worry about their kids. What are you, how am I gonna help her? How am I gonna help her? Well, this is what he did. He turned the camera on himself and he said, okay, how do I become somebody that she wants to follow? And so he said, well, let me, here's the first thing. I'm passionate about helping people. I'm passionate about missions and I'm passionate about serving people. So he started, he started helping this orphanage that was in Mexico. He started figuring out how he could develop, send them money, missions, that kind of stuff. And he sat the family down. And he said, look, family, this is what we're gonna be about. We're gonna be about helping this orphanage. And he, how can we help? How can you help, Johnny? How can you help, Susie? And he asked the kids and he had a, and gave them real responsibilities. And this girl who was usually doing bad stuff said, you know what, I'd, I'd like to help out and I'm good at Facebook. So I'm gonna get on there and kind of help raise money through Facebook. That was where it started. Then it kept growing and snowballing. Before you know it, the loser boyfriend's gone. Some of the negative behaviors start to fade away. Before you know it, she's just fully dedicated to this cause because her dad became somebody that she wanted to follow. She saw real life change, real passion in his heart. She said, man, I want some of that. And so then she in turn followed and, and was able to do great things for God. So I'm gonna wrap this message up with a story. And it's a story from God's word um, about how God sees teenagers. It's a story from Samuel, 1 Samuel, which is way back in the Old Testament. Um, it's talking to, see, let me set the story up for you. Samuel's this guy, he's, he's sent to um, Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel. Um, same Bethlehem as Jesus, but just way before Jesus' time. So he's gonna, he's gonna anoint the next king of Israel. And so he goes there and uh, he's kind of in for a big surprise. So we're gonna pick up on 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse six. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elib and thought, 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's thinking, dude, this guy's huge. He's ready to go. He looks like a leader. This is the king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance for his height, or do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. And this is the key. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think so many times we take teens and we look at them and we say, man, that, you know, whatever. And we just dismiss them because, you know, maybe they've got, you know, cap pulled down over their eyes or they've got, you know, some kind of shirt that's just all baggy and whatever. And you're thinking, okay, they can't do anything great. You just dismiss them at surface level. God doesn't even see that stuff. God looks right into their heart and he knows what's there. And so the story continues. And Jesse brings seven, he brings seven of his sons by. God rejects them all. Samuel's getting a bit frustrated. God said, go and anoint one of Jesse's sons king. He brings seven of them by and none of them are working out. So here we pick up in verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, there still is the youngest, Jesse answered. The youngest, but he's still tending the sheep. Jesse didn't even think that uh, David was worthy to bring along to this meeting. He was so young, he couldn't possibly do anything for God. Let me just leave him out in the field, okay? Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel Samuel then went to Ramah. You see, in this story, we see a young man, David, who was not even thought that he could do anything great. He was left in the fields. But God didn't see that. God sees a man after his own heart. That's what he calls David, a man after his own heart. And he sees this young man and he says, that's gonna be the next guy because he loves me so much, I'm ready to anoint him king over all my people. You may have always seen teens at surface level. You may have just pushed them back. You may have a teenager and you may have not expected a lot from them. But I want you to understand today, clearly hear me say that God expects a lot and he sees their heart and he sees the amazing things that they can do. He doesn't wanna use them in the future. He wants to use them in the now. And so I wanna challenge you, if you're a teen, how can you become the man or the woman of God that needs now? How can you, as a parent, push them to be the man or the woman that he needs you to be now? And I want you to just believe. If you're a parent, I want you to believe in your kids. You may be a parent sitting here having done all the right things, having done everything right, and yet your teen seems to be rebelling and you can't figure out why. I just wanna encourage you to keep it up because God will always love your son or daughter, no matter what they do. God will always love them. I just want to encourage you to just keep fighting for them. Keep fighting for your kid and be somebody that, that's worth following. And I, and I guarantee you that in time, God will break them down. So I want to close this service by praying. And I'm going, to pray for, um, I'm going to pray for three things. I'm going to pray for the teens in this room. So I'm going to pray specifically for you guys. I'm going to pray for the parents. And then I'm going to pray for the church in general. And I, I just, I want to take an opportunity just to ask for God to be at, at work in y'all's lives. Um, if you've heard something about our youth ministry and you want to know more about it, or you want to know how your team can get plugged in, or you're a teen in here and you want to step up and you want to get plugged in, I'm going to stand right over here after service. I'd love to talk to you, uh, tell you all about what our youth ministry does and how you can get involved. And I want to uh, especially ask if you have a fifth grader who will be rising into sixth grade. First of all, you're freaking out because your kid's going into middle school. But 
if, if you're in that category, your teenager is now getting ready to come into our youth ministry. And I would encourage you to just come and talk to me. I'd like to invite you to, into what we do. Um, and you can hear a little bit more about that. So if you guys would, just bow with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for those, those three things. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You have blessed us with teenagers. You've blessed us with, uh, with the ability to have teenagers in our lives. You've blessed us with the ability to see their passions, to see them do amazing things for God, to see the fruits of their labor, to be uh, just encouraged by them. And Father, I wanna, I wanna ask specifically for the teenagers today that you would surround them with your power, just as you did David, that from this day on, they would be moved by your spirit. Lord, I pray that they would raise their own bar. I pray that they would find their passions and I pray that they would walk the talk. Father, I also wanna lift up the parents in this room. Lord, there are parents in here who have been fighting for their kids for a long time and I pray that you would just continue to to keep them fighting. I pray that you would break the parents in the areas that need to be broken so that they can be the man or woman that God has called them to be, to be somebody who's worth following so that they can live the life that they were meant to live. I pray that they would be able to reach their children and that that they would be able to share the love of Christ through the love that they have for them. And Father, lastly, I want to pray for our church. We are a church that loves teens and the people in this room. uh, Just, I want to pray that you would send them out and put them in contact with a teenager this week. I want to pray that as they serve, they would grab a teenager to serve alongside. I want to pray that as they, uh, you know, write a note on Facebook, that they would take time to write an encouraging note to a teenager. I want to pray that as they uh, pray this week, that they would lift up the teens in our church. Father, most of all, I thank you for the fact that we can all be united, whether teenager or whether senior. We can all be united in the fact that you died for us on the cross. And I thank you for that. It's in your son's holy name that we pray.